Almighty Father, we humble ourselves with a spirit of gratitude and joy this morning. We thank you for the gift of love that you demonstrated for us by sending your son to die on the cross and then raising him from the dead. Father, we thank you for this gift of repentance that we've been focused on throughout this entire Lenten season, that we can turn from that dark, wide path and turn towards you. And Father, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness, that we no longer have to live in our guilt and shame because you promise to wash us white as snow. And Father, we thank you for the gift of reconciliation, that we can be in your presence for all eternity. And Father, finally, we thank you for this gift of salvation, redeemed, purchased by the blood of your Son shed on that cross. And so, Father, we now come before you as a congregation to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So the depth of the joy that we experience this morning is only made possible because the depth of the sorrow that Jesus experienced three days prior, mocked, beaten, crucified for the sins of the world. It's here, this Easter morning, as Jesus breathed his last breath, that we pick up our very own story of salvation in the Gospel of Matthew. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Matthew is so careful to document the critical role that the women played in this narrative. Notice there's no mention of the disciples, just the loyal women who it says ministered to him from the cross, meaning they stayed by Jesus' side in his darkest hour, loyal to the bitter end. And these women would ultimately play a vital role in witnessing the authenticity of Christ's resurrection because they never left his side. Even following Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb where he placed Jesus' dead body. It says these women sat opposite the tomb as Joseph rolled the big stone over the entrance. 
And as we noted when we first studied this text on Ash Wednesday at the beginning of Lent, and as we've considered throughout this entire season of Lent, that great stone that was rolled in place to seal Jesus' tomb seemingly marked the end of the story. This man named Jesus who healed the sick and restored sight to the blind. This man named Jesus who called out the chief priests and Pharisees for their hypocritical ways. This man named Jesus who threatened the very establishment of the Jewish faith. His death would finally bring an end to it all, or so they thought. Second, that great stone that was rolled in place to seal Jesus' tomb separated Jesus from his loved ones. The women who remained by his side weren't physically able to move it. As if it weren't enough to experience the dreadful events of that day for someone that they loved so dearly, but then there's this massive stone preventing them from the closure that they so desperately needed. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went away and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So third, that great stone that was rolled in place to seal Jesus' tomb also guarded against the fears of the religious authorities. They recall that Jesus had foretold of his own death and that he would rise again after three days. So they asked Pilate to secure the tomb by dispatching a detachment of Roman soldiers. These mighty warriors would ensure that if Jesus did awaken from the dead, that he'd never see the light of day. The guard would also prevent the disciples from moving that stone away from the tomb and stealing his body and then claiming that he'd risen from the dead. And fourth, that great stone that was rolled in place to seal Jesus' tomb concealed the truth of all that had transpired that day. It covered up the betrayal, false accusations, beatings, and the crucifixion of an innocent man. It also concealed the truth of who Jesus really was, the Messiah sent to save God's people. It hid the body of a man who had taught with authority like no other and who claimed to be the very Son of God. And fifth, the great stone that was rolled in place to seal Jesus' tomb represented authority, the authority of Pilate to knowingly crucify an innocent man, the authority of the Pharisees to condemn Jesus out of their envy and self-righteousness. And it represented the Roman authority that empowered the guards to secure that tomb. And throughout this season of Lent, we focused on the role that the great stone played, primarily because that tomb, that grave up there, was meant for us. 
And that's why the events of Easter are so intensely personal for each of us, because it's our sin that deserves death. But because God loves us so much, he sent his one and only son to bear the cost for our sins on the cross, where he died and was buried in that tomb, in our place, the place the stone covered up. And so our focus on this great stone has been that we might ask God to identify stones in our lives that seemingly mark the end of our story, or that separate us from Jesus, or guard against our fears. Stones that conceal the truth about things in our lives that we would prefer would never come to light again or stones that have some kind of misplaced authority over us. That's been our focus as we've gathered each Wednesday throughout Lent to pray, to fast, and to meditate on these questions. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Isn't it amazing to see how much can change in just a couple of days, but always in God's perfect timing. That was true in this case, and it's also true for our lives. So much can change in just a few days. Our two Marys, they show up yet again, still ministering, still serving, never leaving his side. Perhaps they'd come to sit by the great stone to remember their dear friend. Perhaps they'd come in an attempt to care for his body. Or perhaps they'd even come to see if he'd risen from the dead like he said he would. But whatever the reason was, that they were stirred that morning to come to that tomb, wherever they became the central witnesses to this apocalyptic event that forecasts the ultimate destiny of the world. The ground began to shake. An angel of the Lord descends right in front of them. The angel rolls back the great stone and then triumphantly sits on it, demonstrating the truth about who's really in charge of the events surrounding this tomb. Shafts of lightning blazed from his countenance, and his garments shimmered white as snow. The mighty Roman guard of soldiers, trained and hardened in brutal hand-to-hand combat, were brought to their knees, scared to death, so terrified and frightened they couldn't move. And notice how the angel doesn't even address the soldiers. They had no authority to secure that tomb. These mighty men had been neutralized by their fear. They didn't even dare make the slightest movement. And of course, let's make sure that we don't miss the irony here with these battle-hardened soldiers. It says they became like dead men. All the while, the dead man they had been guarding had become alive. And to be clear, the angel wasn't sent to let Jesus out of the tomb, because there's no mention of him walking out. Jesus had already risen from the dead, and that detachment of Roman soldiers was powerless to prevent it. Though that angel had been sent with a message to these two women. 
But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The angel tells the women that Jesus is not here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said he would. So you see, the angel hadn't come to let Jesus out. He had come to bring a message to the two Marys. And along with this earth-shattering, overwhelming, yet wonderful news came five directives. First, don't fear. And while the guards had every reason to fear, the angel wanted the women to know that God had chosen them to play a critical role in this epic event, to be witnesses to Christ's resurrection from the dead in fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. There was nothing for the women to fear. They needed to be strengthened and encouraged to carry out their role. Second, the angel directs, come into the tomb. That Roman guard over there isn't going to bother you. And that stone that prevented you from coming into the tomb three days ago, it's not going to stop you either. Come into this tomb, the very tomb, where after dying in our place and bearing the penalty for our sin, Jesus' dead body laid for three days. Can you imagine the significance of stepping into that tomb? Third, the angel directs, see with your very own eyes, both of you, there is no body in this tomb. Remember, they had been loyal to the end. They had seen Jesus die on the cross, give up his last breath. They had also seen Joseph carry his dead body to the tomb with their very own eyes. They also watched the great stone be rolled in place to seal Jesus' dead body in that tomb. They even saw the Roman guard that was sent to secure the great stone, preventing anyone from moving it. But what they didn't see was Jesus. He didn't walk out of that tomb, and his body wasn't in there either. He had risen. Fourth, the angel directs, go. Take all that you have witnessed, what you saw three days ago, what you saw this morning, the earthquake, how the Roman soldiers crumbled, how the great stone had been rolled away, the empty tomb, this angelic message from God, and go. And fifth, the angel directs the women to tell the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead as he said he would. And then he also tells them that Jesus will meet them in Galilee. That's the message the two Marys were to tell. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And if all that just had happened with the angel, the great stone and the empty tomb weren't enough, Jesus, now risen from the dead, stops the two women as they wake, make their way back to the disciples. You see, the empty tomb was a necessary condition for the resurrection. There cannot have been a body there. But an empty tomb alone would not have been sufficient to validate claims that he'd risen from the dead. 
No, his resurrected body would need to be seen, and he comes before the two Marys in person, and he greets them. And let's not miss how remarkable it is that Jesus first appears to women. Back in the day, women had virtually no social status, and yet God chose to use these women to bear witness to the greatest event in all of history, hearkening back to the creation story, where as you recall, sin initially entered the world through a woman. That's why women had the low status that they did back in those days. But in the account of the resurrection story, God chose to reveal the truth that sin was now conquered once and for all by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he chose to reveal this truth first to women. And of course, the two Marys instantly recognize him and immediately drop to their knees in worship, which is the only appropriate response anyone can have in the presence of a risen Savior. And then Jesus confirms all that the angel had told them. He says, don't fear, it's me. I've risen as I said I would. They came and took hold of his feet. They saw him with their very own eyes. And then he says, go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee, where it all began, back in that Sermon on the Mount, so they can see me too. Can you imagine what must have been going through the heads as they raced off to find the disciples? Surely images of beatings, the crucifixion, and that sacred moment of Jesus' last breath swirled through their minds, his body being carried off to a tomb, the burial, and that great stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb, sealed and secured by a powerful Roman guard detachment, man's way of seemingly marking the end of this story. But Almighty God had a different plan, a plan that had been in the works throughout the course of history, a plan to forgive the sins of his people and remember them no more. That stone didn't mark the end of a story. It marked the beginning of our story because we now have a risen Savior. Notice, too, how it was also man's way of separating Jesus from his loved ones. But Almighty God had a different plan. When that angel rolled that great stone away, that tomb was empty. Jesus had already conquered death. He had risen from the dead. He established the new covenant and became our Savior. So it didn't separate Jesus from his loved ones. It actually united Jesus to his loved ones forever. Man had also used that great, great stone to guard against their fears, but Almighty God had a different plan. When the angel rolled back that stone on that glorious day, all the fears of Jesus' accusers were realized, while all the fears of his followers were overcome. The angel and Jesus both used the words, do not be afraid. And it's so important that we embrace this command. Yes, it was our tomb meant for us, but we no longer need to fear it because Jesus conquered death on our behalf. You see, we serve a sovereign and good God. So we have nothing to fear, not even death. Do you hear that truth today? 
And man had also used that stone to conceal the truth about the events of those days and who Jesus was. But Almighty God had a different plan. When the angel rolled back that great stone, the dead body that had been beaten, crucified, and bore the sins of the world was gone. Jesus had risen. The truth of who he claimed to be had been revealed by an empty tomb and eyewitness encounters. A stone cannot seal, cannot conceal the truth from Almighty God who can make dry bones rattle and dead men walk again. And finally, man had used that great stone to represent human authority. But Almighty God had a different plan. When that angel rolled back that great stone, and it was clear by the reaction of those Roman soldiers as to where the ultimate authority resides. It is with Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And when God says something, it happens. Back at creation, he just spoke things into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And that light travels at 299,792,458 meters per second. And you know why? Because he said so. Even the stones obey his commands. When he says move, they move. Nothing is impossible with God. The death and darkness of the cross three days earlier is now the representation of life as we see with the lilies up there behind that cross. Those things that seem so impossible to us, those big stones in our lives are nothing for Almighty God. So it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you're going through now. Our God is all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing. He's able to save, to deliver, to heal, and to restore anything that he wants to. That tomb up there was meant for us, the punishment for our sin. It represents our death, dry bones. But Almighty God has a different plan, a plan to roll those stones away from our lives by sending his one and only son to die in our place, to conquer our sin and death so that we might live. Yes, live. That's what the resurrection is all about, that we might live the way we were designed to be, that our dry bones might rattle once again. Jesus did all of this to restore us to a right relationship with God. That's the message of the cross. It's the message of the tomb. And that's the message of the great stone. That's the message that we celebrate this glorious day and every day hereafter. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are in awe of your love for us, that you would send your son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might live again. Would you roll those stones away in our lives that prevent us from living life the way you intended it to be? Would your resurrection power encourage, build up, and strengthen us to serve you with all we've got? We ask these things, and whatever else you see that we need, in the mighty name of Jesus, 
Amen.